Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Everyday Theology, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers. I'm Ben Campbell, and I'm joined with the one, the only, Dustin Walters. Dustin, you're in a blue room. I am in a blue room. I happen to be hiding in the historical archives room at Welch College today. So, Hiding? Don't touch any of those books without those special gloves, though. Mm, special gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they were Michael Jackson's. I think that's what that white glove. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that was. Yeah. Not really. That was a joke. We're, uh, we're, we're going down a different, interesting path today, aren't we? We sure are. Speaking of Michael Jackson and gloves and Resurrection Sunday, this Sunday is Easter, and we are going to be uh, discussing kind of uh, the the elements of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the implications of that as uh, New Testament believers, since today is Good Friday, we really want to focus on uh, just how important and vital the crucifixion and resurrection is for Christianity as a, a system of faith and religion, but also how um, important it is for ordinary believers like yourself. So, Dustin, uh, let's just start off with the softball question here. What What's the reason why the crucifixion and the resurrection are so important for believers? Well, it simply comes down to... Um, the only reason that we can have hope in is that Jesus not only came, not only was he obedient to the father through his passive and active obedience and dying on the cross, but he was also obedient to the father by being raised um, for our justification. And really what I want our listeners to think about today, Ben, is the fact that apart from Christ's uh, both death and resurrection, we really have no faith. It is the death and the resurrection of Christ that makes our faith viable. Absolutely. It is uh, the resurrection of Christ that uh, is the kind of the founding element of how we are justified, but also why we're justified. So what is it that makes um, our justification possible then, Dustin? Well, I think um, it might be helpful to go to a little known passage um, um, that actually I think is perfect for Good Friday. And by the way, listener, wherever you are, uh, we just want to say thank you for taking time out of your Good Friday holiday um, to spend with us. And we hope this reflection today will be meaningful. We hope that it'll provide uh, something to stimulate your thought, but also something to stimulate greater obedience and faith to the gospel as you reflect on this beautiful doctrine of justification um, with us. So, Ben, um, if I may, I'm going to read Romans 4, and I want to read verse um, 22 through 25. And we know the context here is talking about Abraham's faith. So God's Word says this in the New King James Version. It says, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus the Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. The word of the Lord. Yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to uh, be looking really truly at verse 25 
and really 24 and 25, it is credited to us who believe in him. And then also that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So uh, let's talk first. Let's just kind of go through this sequentially here. Let's talk about this, this crediting, this imputation. Um, what is imputation, Dustin? And uh, how does the believer come into that sort of um, predicament, if you will, situation? Well, imputation um, is a rich word that we could spend a long time kind of unpacking the etymology, the theological background, the historical development of the word. But we're really, we're just interested here today in talking about the way in which Christ gives his righteousness to the believer through faith. And this giving of righteousness, um, if you think about a ledger from a bank standpoint, um, you've got credits and debits and what essentially has happened um, through the fall. Um, we recognize that we are united with our first father, Adam. So we're affirming belief in the historical Adam. And in so doing, we're, we're identifying ourselves with, with his rebellion against God in the garden. And so just as through Adam, Ben, we have this, if you will, this coat of just unrighteousness. I, Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 59, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And we have this this dirty garment on us. And yet Jesus has come essentially to give us a new garment, the garment of his righteousness. Hebrews then tells us that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. Well, brother, you and I ought to be striving to pursue holiness, but we are not holy in and of ourselves by nature we are children of wrath and we deserve god's wrath but through the gospel we actually get a new garment we get new clothing you know i was reading this week ben thinking about the wedding feast in matthew 22 and how um, that was part of the passion week narrative and basically what ends up happening if you don't have on the right garment you can't go into the wedding feast well, you and I couldn't purchase the right garment at Kohl's or Amazon. Christ comes into the scene. He steps into our brokenness and essentially says, if you have faith in me, I'll give you this, this, this cloak of righteousness that allows you to have access to the Father. Yes. Amen to that. Justification, imputation, those are, um, those are forensic terms. They're legal terms, right? Um, justification being justified is the act by which God legally declares us righteous. It's like you said, it's as if we owe a debt. And what God does is declares that debt paid, but he doesn't declare that debt paid because we have paid it or can pay it, but because Christ has paid it. Uh, Anselm, the great uh, medieval theologian Anselm, I love reading Anselm, but in his uh, Cures de Homo uh, work, he actually says, and this is a paraphrasical quote here, but he says that human beings owe to God something they cannot repay, but must repay it in order to be saved. And so if we're going to be saved, we have to have our debt paid. The The debt has to be demolished. It has to be annulled. Um, there has to be 
for lack of a better term, a balanced uh, ledger, if you will. And uh, so that's where that word imputation comes in, that it's not as if um, that we have been given something to pay our debt, but that someone else has paid this debt for us. It's a gifting. It's not something we can earn or something we can do or merit, but it's something that is gifted. What a gift it is as well, which when you get into this discussion, I was thinking about our recent interaction with Four Lines. I was thinking about um, the recent Four Lines in Friday, the most recent one where we talked about holiness and love. Um, some people, even within our movement, have questioned Four Lines' paradigm, putting um, holiness before love. And some people have suggested, though not written, um, just in verbal conversation, some people have suggested that perhaps a better paradigm even though we love four lines here at Everyday Theology, um, if you would put holiness dash love instead of holiness love mm-hmm. underneath it. Um, the point of that, how that all relates back to this discussion on imputation, justification, being set free from sin, and being declared righteous, there are different views of the atonement. And what one believes about God's holiness and God's love must ultimately influence what he or she believes about the nature and the extent of the atonement. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The, the holiness of God is what dictates all of his other attributes, right? So it's the holiness of God that sees mankind as sinful. It's the holiness of God that, that demands that these sinful human beings be punished through consequence, but it's not the holiness of God that sends Christ to the cross. It's the love of God. And it's the grace of God that offers this salvation to all who will believe. I think there's a nice reformed Arminian nod here in verse 24 as well. Um, and I, I'm just, you know, have to throw this in, right? <laughs> but uh, if you'll notice that this righteousness, this justifying element that um, is given by Christ is only given to those who believe in him, who meet the condition for being in him with in union with him and that is faith so and faith and belief that's obviously the same word it's pistis in the new testament we want everyone to know that today's episode of everyday theology is sponsored in part by our friends at welch divinity school through the master of divinity degree welch divinity school seeks to foster christian scholarship and provide leaders with graduate education in theological classical disciplines, and in their integration with the practice of Christian ministry. To learn more about Welsh Divinity School, visit welch.edu forward slash divinity. The condition is that you must be in a union with Jesus in order to receive this gift of righteousness. So again, the way we meet this is by the way, so again, the way we receive this gift, this imputation, the way that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us is through faith. Abraham is justified through his faith. Um, and uh, in fact, you, you mentioned the original sin and original guilt stuff. That's Paul's argument in Romans 5. It's funny, through one man, all sinned. And through one man can all be redeemed. That's the second Adam, if you will. 
shameless plug on on Adam. Uh, there's a pretty cool blog post out in two parts on everydaytheology.co about historical Adam and how if uh, Adam was not an actual historical figure, then we have no reason to talk about sin or redemption or anything like that. Right. Yeah, those are uh, going to be probably the latest two blog posts. You can go and see that on our website and the blog, and uh, you can go to any of our social media and find it as well. But yeah, that's ex- that's totally true, man. Uh, if if there is no such thing as a historical Adam, then there's really no doctrine of original sin and original guilt. So uh, let's continue then going through verse 25. Uh, let's look at uh, this 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 phrase delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Dustin, let's talk about being delivered up, Christ being delivered for our trespasses. Is there a necessity for this? Um, is there uh, biblical grounds for um, Jesus being punished by the Father? Uh, you know, you can get into arguments about the atonement and everything and the Christus Victor stuff or, you know, God um, kind of just the governmental theory of using this as using Christ's crucifixion as more of an exemplary way of, of describing uh, the the forgiveness of sins, but is there a biblical necessity for sacrifice, for death, for bloodshed? Well, that reminds me, Ben, that's an excellent question. It reminds me of the covenantal language of the Old Covenant, Old Testament. Um, One could not enter the, the holiest of holies under the Old Covenant because there was a veil, a curtain in the temple, and yet at the same time, there was the need, even as early as Genesis, for sacrifice of blood. And that's one reason God tells his people, you know, don't partake of meat with blood because the blood has the life. The life is in the blood, which, by the way, that's yeah. a sermon that I'll preach. That's another time. But God demanded that um, sin be paid for. And so what happened in the Old Covenant is you have these different offerings that we've been offering. you burnt offerings and trespass offering or sin offering, and you've got all these different offerings. Um, but one of the fascinating part is even the priest, the priest not only had to make atonement for their own sin, but for the corporate community, for the corporate people of God. So when we think about this, there is a requirement that if God is truly just, Ben, if God is truly holy, then we must See to it that sin is paid for. Someone must give an account. What we have in Jesus essentially is our prophet, priest, and king. He he goes and he acts as our priest, but he also acts as the sacrificial lamb, which John tells us takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that you can relate that to Old Testament or you can relate that to New Testament, whichever you'd like, um, because Hebrews is a wonderful um, book grounded in Old Testament language as well as New Testament faith. Um, so this is so important. There is there is a foundational necessity for God to punish or to well, let me say it this way. There's a, there's a necessity for God's wrath to be satisfied. Um, and you see, this is Anselm's argument in Cures de Homo, right? That, that in order for mankind to be justified before God, 
only God can do that. I like to say to our people at our church that only God could save us from God is what I like to say, um, because that's that's really the essence of the the nature of atonement. Um, but more importantly, it's not just the crucifixion, is it? that really is so important for Christianity, but it's the resurrection. Now, I want to preface this by saying we're not we're not over here advocating an Andy Stanley paradigm of that the resurrection is the key element to biblical Christianity. While it is a, a massive uh, signpost and foundational principle, I, I sort of take uh, a John Frame approach to sort of the basis for Christian uh, faith and the the Christian religion as the word of God and not the resurrection as like a Stanley or some other classical apologetics uh, proponents would take. I, I tend to view scripture as the as the one uh, authority that that does. And then, of course, prove the resurrection, give proof for it, record it, make it historical or whatever. But Again, it doesn't mean it's unimportant. It doesn't mean it's not foundational to our beliefs. So uh, tell us why this is important. Tell us how this relates to justification. Well, we often talk about, especially on Good Friday, uh, Christ's atonement on the cross, Ben. But we don't so much talk about, which which we as Protestants need to do a better job, um, lingering in, mourning the, the fact that it was our sin that caused his substitutionary death to happen. Um, I think so many times, you know, we, we, how many times do we see our friends sharing on social media that ancient and excellent quote from, from SM Lockridge, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. That's true to a certain extent, but we as Protestant Baptist Christians need to do a better job at recognizing our sin nature, recognizing that we are totally separate from God apart from Jesus. Yeah, Isaiah tells us it's not, like you said, it's not that God has amnesia, but he chooses to forget our sins. Isaiah and the psalmist says he he separates them as far as the east is from the west. Um, and I don't know if you've ever tried to go as far east or as far west as you can, but you, you can't. It's an eternity, and that's that's sort of the purpose of the imagery there, is that he chooses to forget them. And when we do stand before him in Christ, it is as though we've never sinned. He declares us innocent. He declares us uh, righteous, not because we are, because we're not, but because of Christ. Though our skin sit our skins, though our sins be as scarlet, they are now white as snow. Paul says, though, um, if Christ has not been raised, First Corinthians fifteen, our faith is in vain. So if Christ has not been raised, we are the most to be pitied. We are subscribing right. to a useless theology. So, uh, Dustin, any concluding thoughts as we wrap this up? Well, Ben, I just, when I came across this verse, actually I heard it in another podcast that I won't mention here, but when I thought about the relationship between Christ death and resurrection and how central both are for our faith. I was just moved by the fact that he was raised for our justification. And 
as I began to think about this, I also thought it was fitting on this Good Friday for us to think about Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened up not his mouth. Our Lord made a great sacrifice so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And Ben, on this Good Friday, I hope that our listeners are encouraged by the reality of their not only new life with Christ now, Ben, but I hope that our listeners are encouraged that one day all who are in Christ will be raised in like manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to us uh, today, dear listener. Thanks for continuing to uh, follow all of our podcasts and our videos on social media. Uh, if you would do us a favor, like, subscribe, share the podcast with your friends, give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or your podcasting platform. And until next time, we pray on this Good Friday that these truths reach you for your good and for God's glory.